0: So, welcome to another episode of the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. Today, I am joined by soon-to-be Dr. Sonia Pruitt. Um, usually, this is where I insert like a bio and all of that. But we'll get to that. Um, Sonia is amazing. I met her recently. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, I'm on a sabbatical and I spent some time in Washington, D.C. So I met Sonia recently because she was gracious enough to participate in a film screening that we were doing at Montgomery College. And so, Sonia, I, have, so I heard you before I saw you and I was like, this is going to be all right. <laughs> I heard you saying something about microaggressions as you came into the the theater and I was like oh this is gonna be good (laughs)
1: um yeah one of my favorite topics recently
0: (laughs) so Sonia is a mom she is a professor she is she's former law enforcement that's as far as Mm -hmm. I know but I know that you you know you you were pretty up there I've been Um, doing a lot (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I um I I was 28. I'm a 28-year veteran of law enforcement. I retired as a police captain. With my last this is important. My last assignment was in community engagement. That was like my dream assignment and I finally got it before I retired. <laughs>
0: Awesome, and so I invited Sonia to come on because I heard her, like, we were hanging out socially, and I heard her say something about choosing her health over the job, Um, and we'll get there, that's where I want to center this conversation, but I want to start from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. like, where's Sonia from, like, what was little Sonia running around doing? (laughs) Fighting,
1: so I grew up in North Carolina, a very, very small town called Williamston and it's on the eastern seaboard, um, not very far from Virginia, maybe about an hour or so from Virginia, the Virginia border, and I grew up, our town was on a river, and so I did not know the beauty and the value of growing up in such a beautiful space, like it was, it was, i thought it was just normal right that everybody grew up on a river or they had this beautiful green grass and these trees and it was a great place to grow up um it was a very diverse small town and but then you had the black people who lived on one side the white people kind of lived on the other side kind of thing across the railroad tracks um so uh i uh, spent my childhood there with my grandparents and my aunt and uncle, and then I when I finally left and graduated from high school, I ended up at Howard University. so that's the short story about where I grew up,
0: okay, and so you ended up at howard um and at what point did you decide that law enforcement was gonna be it for you?
1: <laughs> so I ended up at Howard under the i was gonna say the guys my thought was <laughs> that <laughs> I was gonna be a doctor and I you know honestly I didn't choose that my family chose that as as many black families uh, I'm a baby baby boomer I'm like right on the edge of baby boomer and gen x and so you know the thought was you're going to be a lawyer you're going to be a doctor and so I went to Howard I was a science geek so it was kind of a natural fit to be in the sciences but what I realized very early on was that I was never going to be a doctor I did not want to stay up all night i didn't want to do no internships or rotations or whatever it is the doctors do that was not me so then i went into research for a little while while i was still in college and i didn't like research because research is repetitive so while i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do i was on the bus one day and i was looking up at the ads and there was an ad for police officer i was like ooh i want to do that you know because i can be outside i can meet a lot of different people And so I applied to be a police officer in three different police departments in Maryland. Well, D.C. and then two in Maryland. And I ended up getting hired by Montgomery County Police first.
0: Okay. So what was that conversation like with your grandparents and your aunt and uncle that like? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it
1: was more. So my grandparents were they were okay. Um, It was my mother who actually, my mother and father were actually living in DC. And it was my mother who was like, you know, basically, what are you doing with your life? Because it didn't fit what the plan was for her. Something I didn't really understand until I became a mother <laughs> mm. and realized, okay, I can't do the same with my, my sons because they're going to have to choose what it is they want to do. I didn't know the, the, the importance and the gravity of, of allowing your child to make their own decisions. I thought I had let the family down. And so, um, but I was also very headstrong and, you know, kind of still am. And so I'm like, I'm going to go and do this police thing because I want to be around people. And I'm, you know, at the time I was working for the postal service, I was sitting in an office. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be surrounded by four walls. I wanted to be outside where, you know, there was sunshine and I could talk to these people that I was going to meet. I did not know what I was getting myself into. Honestly, I was very naive about policing, even though my father was a police officer. He didn't talk to me about his job. Um, I didn't know what challenges he had or what challenges there were in policing for Black people. I learned that on my own.
0: Do you remember when you had that first sort of like reality check of this is what policing is? It's not (laughs) outside standing in the sunshine.
1: (laughs) That is a great question because I often tell people that Black officers will have an aha moment at some point. Um, And then you have to make a decision about what side of this police culture are you going to be on? And my aha moment came, um, I was a corporal. I had just gotten promoted not too long um, into the rank of corporal. And I was backing up another officer on a traffic stop. And I noticed that he had arrested this man, and so what I would do, because you know, I'm a people person, if I came on the scene and somebody, uh, and I was backing up an officer, I would talk to the people that they had under arrest, just to, to you know to distract them, to see what you know to 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 spend some time, just you know let, letting the time go by. And so I asked the guy in handcuffs, I said, like, "What are you under arrest for? What did you do?" And he says, "Oh, my license is suspended." I said, "Okay." So the officer searched his car and then he came back and he took him out of the handcuffs and then he let him drive away. So I was like, what was that? So I said to the officer, you know, um, you can't unarrest somebody on the street. You have to take them to the police station. You got to fill out a police report. You got to document why it is that you took them out of the handcuffs. I said, plus you searched his car Why did you search his car and then let him go? And then he's suspended. You let this guy drive away on a suspended license. What if he gets in a car accident and somebody's injured? You could be held responsible. So he said to me, I don't have to to listen to what you have to say. You're not really my supervisor. I was like, okay. So I took it to the sergeant. The sergeant's like, you're right. I'll talk to him. We get into roll call the next couple of days. And this officer stands up and roll call and says, I want anybody in this room to know that how I do my traffic stops is how I do them. I don't have to pass this in front of anybody except the state's attorney. And I was like, whoa. So I'm looking at the sergeant like, are you going to check this guy? Long story short, he didn't check him. This young man was out on the road stopping people, uh, searching their cars for no good reason. If he didn't find anything, he let them go. That's not how it works, Right. And so when I complained about it, he said I was being racist. And so then this rumor started that I was out here accusing white officers of being racist. I never said anything about racism. I said, this is policy that you need to follow. So for me, that was the first time that it had really affected me personally, race issues in the police department. I had seen stuff, but, you know, I was... I. I chalked it up to this is just how life is, right? Until that happened. And then I began to get maligned online because we had a little forum for the police. I began to get maligned. And then it, it got so bad that they began to threaten my husband bodily harm. Yeah, so that was that was probably about maybe 10 years into my career with the police department
0: wow how do you how do you go about your day-to-day with that hanging over you it was incredibly
1: difficult um so imagine you spend the next 18 years of your life being very aware of the racial issues in policing observing them um knowing who the people were who were perpetrating these racial biases against the community, um, saying something, because, you know, the the what is it, see something, say something, that's what you're told, but it, it's not real. It's not, they don't really want you to say anything. And the they is uh, the people who could do something about it, the police leadership. As a matter of fact, I would go to police leadership and, and say, I saw this. And then I would pay for it. There would be retaliation. I wouldn't get promoted. Uh, I would get a a bad assignment. Um. So I got to pay for every time I would report something that I thought was wrong. But mm. then I had to, I had to sit with myself and God and like, okay, you put this in front of me, and my spiritual self says you cannot avoid it you can't turn your back on it um there are people who are depending on you to to be righteous and just and that's what you have to do no matter what the cost is and so i had not learned yet how to take care of myself my health i just knew that i had to be strong and you know and and i just had to walk through this fire and i had to walk through this thing and and see it through to the end whatever the issue was but it was taking a toll on my health.
0: Hmm. What was the first indication of it taking a toll on your health?
1: Well, besides the you know the general stressors, not being able to sleep, um, not eating well. Although I was always very physically active, so that was helpful. That I you know I had a a, a workout routine and I was committed to that. And I'm not sure what it would have been like had I not been because. By the time I got promoted to lieutenant, um, which was like in 2011, I got my first diagnosis of breast cancer. That's when it really, really hit home. It hit home in several different ways. It was a, um, how are you going to, first, the first question was, how are you going to do your job while you're going through chemo? It never occurred to me at that point, no, you could just take off. Right, you you could take off and and just use your leave right because I knew that if I had just gotten this cushy position as the assistant to one of the assistant chiefs and I knew if I took off that that position wasn't going to be there for me when I got back so I I had to make a I had to make a decision. I didn't really know what I was going into with the chemo, first of all. But I made a decision, okay, I can I can work through this. My doctor says if I want to work, I can work. Um, but what I didn't count on was that there would be no compassion from the leadership I worked for. So they treated me as though, you know, you you said you're gonna work, well, then we're gonna work you. So for a year, because it took about a year from the time I had the had the diagnosis, had the chemo, and started to heal for uh, me to realize, okay, I'm going to have to go to another position. This is too much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But at, at the same time, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to put, but this is going to be on my resume that I spent a year here. And, you and know, it's funny because as a Black woman, you have to be strategic. You have to feel i i my 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 goal was always to fill my resume with with things different positions so that they could not eventually could not deny me what what was what was owed to me and i needed to put that on my resume so i said i'm going to stay here for a year and i did and i fought through it it was really difficult doing the work i was you know i did a great job but it took a toll on my psyche and my you know my mental health while my body was starting to respond and was starting to heal. Um, six years later, I'm sorry, not six years, but four years later, I got a second breast cancer diagnosis. And what that meant for me at, at that point was you didn't listen the first time. There was something that you should have done that you didn't do the first time. And I'm going to start with, I'm going to take off. So I took off several months while I went through chemo and and all the things that come with the breast cancer diagnosis, right? Um, and when I got back, my job was still there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my position was still there. The people who I worked with were very kind and supportive, which was different from my first experience.
0: Right, right.
1: So at by this time, I had learned, you got to take care of yourself yourself or you're not going to be here my I remember that that second time my my sons who were just starting high school um they came home from school one day I was laying on the couch and one of my sons said what you been doing today and I said I just been resting and he says are you gonna die and I was like whoa and I asked him, where did that come from? And he says, you just been laying here every day. Every time we come home from school, you just laying here. And so then I, I had to do a self-check and realize I was depressed. Mm. That meant now I have to consider my mental health in a way I had never done before. I had taken them, you know, to 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 therapy, you know, dealing with the things that young men deal with going through puberty, but I never thought about myself. So now I'm like, okay, I got to find a therapist. And so uh, I started therapy. It was really helpful. Uh, My therapist was a very spiritual woman. So it helped me center my own spirituality and be proud of my ancestry and my spiritual uh, uh, legacy and to tap into that because that's where the strength lies and in our ancestors. And that that journey was amazing. It opened up so many things for me. And it also gave me the strength to continue on in my job without feeling put upon and guilty for saying things and, and and trying to make it right for the community that we were serving. It was a great experience in that way.
0: Isn't it great when you find a therapist that just aligns with you a lot of people are like, well, I tried it and it didn't work. And it's like, well, that person probably didn't align with you. Like sometimes you gotta, it takes a little bit to find that person. But when you do, the work that you get to do is amazing.
1: It is. And um, I had that wasn't the first time I had tried a little therapy. When I got divorced, I had a therapist and it was nothing. I mean, she was not bad, but the therapist that I ended up with after the cancer, it was like God had sent her. Like this is the person just for you. She was, she was just so wonderful. And I remember one of the things she said to me one day, I was <laughs> expressing to her that, you know, breast cancer is, you know, cancer, cancer goes into remission. It doesn't mean that it's gone. And so we try not to think about it like that, but we, we you know, it's that's the reality medically. And so you're hopeful that you never have to deal with it again, right? And she says, girl, you got a whole lot of work to do. You ain't going nowhere. And I was like, <laughs> okay. She says, your ancestors are all around you talking about all the stuff they need you to do. What are you why are you even thinking about that?
0: Is that like, what is that what fuels you? Because it's like, here you are all these years on this job that has been incredibly dis- um difficult. Um, you've gone through a divorce, you're raising two Black men um, and you've had this diagnosis twice and you've battled depression. But when you encounter Sonia, it's just all light and love and brilliance mm-hmm. coming at you. So is wow, that... you. <laughs> like, who is that lady? Oh, no. It's okay. you! <laughs> is that what Sort of sustains you, I am afraid of missing something, like when
1: I decided to to go back and pursue my doctorate at this stage, so
0: wait, so tell um, us before you get there, okay, tell us about your decision to retire because you you're a young woman,
1: oh, yeah um i don't, I don't know how young you think I am, but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um this is what happened this is funny. I'm glad you asked that question. COVID hit and I, okay, so I had been promoted to captain, I think maybe two years, I maybe I had been in two years and it was, it was, it was extremely difficult to make captain. I was the first African-American female woman. I mean, I don't like using the word female. I was the first African-American woman to become a captain in my police department in his 100 uh, Something maybe ninety-some year history.
0: Wait, okay, so we're not gonna, but sorry Wait, we're not gonna just like <laughs> say that and skip over, right? Like, yeah. So we're. But that's what here. happened at work.
1: There was. But no we're not,
0: not going to do that right okay right we're sitting here talking to and listening to the first african-american woman to make it to the rank of captain in the montgomery county police department in its entire history yes okay and it was profound for me i had
1: so um in my opinion i should have been promote it maybe six or seven years before that Uh, but the way affirmative action works you know sometimes if there's a white woman who is eligible as well they're going to promote her because you know that's how racism works right so that's what happened and I the, the next test I took I was in you know in my feelings I was depressed I had gone through the cancer thing I didn't do as well as I needed to do so I had decided not to take the captain's exam again, but you know how God be sitting on the shoulder talking about, girl, what is wrong with you? I don't set you up for, for success. What is your problem? You need to take this test, right? So I said, I'm gonna do it one more time. <laughs> and I took the exam. And as God always works in my life, in the universe, I scored so high. It was like a 98 on the whole you know, entire process that it was gonna be difficult for them not to promote me without knowing that I was gonna file a lawsuit. That was what was gonna come because I was tired of being denied what I thought I deserved. So I, I was promoted at the same time as a young white male. And he was, maybe he had 13 years on, 14 years. I had 20 some years. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm about to become the director of a division. And instead, they made him the director of the police academy, and they sent me to midnights on the road, which was a slap in the face mm. and so this is when the thought began about well, what's next because I was like, okay God, what you know what what is what's the message here besides the obvious one that they don't want me to succeed, they don't want me to shine, they're not celebrating my promotion that the police department never like oh this is the they never highlighted my promotion other people did other entities other government agencies so two years in after i finally came off the road you know that's a whole nother story about how i strategized that because there was some strategy behind it but i came off the road they made me the director of the community engagement division fine i love this covid hit (laughs) and i was like oh people are sick we had an officer who was deathly ill on a ventilator in the hospital. Yet I was noticing that we weren't taking all the precautions that we needed to as a police department to keep people safe and healthy. And I I saw it as a message. I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna survive cancer twice to be dying from COVID, right? So I started thinking about retirement and what am I gonna do? At about the same time, um there was the death of George Floyd and I started getting um inquiries from the media because I had been the 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 president of the I'm sorry the chairperson of the National Black Police Association so I was getting a lot of media inquiries so everything was happening all around the same time and I said to myself I've got enough time and years to retire I'll be leaving money on the table but my health is more important, my well being, and I think I'm supposed to do something else. So I decided to retire and it was very abrupt, right? <laughs> it was so abrupt that I think folks was in their feelings. Mm. There was some rumors that I was retiring because I was having an affair with someone in the department and I didn't want it to get out. There was a rumor that I must have been committing some sort of crime, like double dipping. That's where you work two jobs at the same time, getting paid at the same time. She must be double dipping. And some of the rumors were being perpetrated by Black people mm. in the department. So I was like, you know, it's just time for me to go for my own well-being. I, you know, I fought the good fight. I've done as much as I think I can, and I'm going to leave. And so I retired. And then when I retired, that's when all the interviews and you know, people, you know, I got some job offers, even, we need a chief, you think you might want to put in, I didn't want to be a chief, I didn't want to be in charge of any people anymore, I just wanted to be in charge of me, <laughs> so um, that's how I ended up actually retiring, I feel you like, had I, Go ahead. had I stayed, I might have, there might have been an opportunity you know there were th- my my supporters in the county government were like you should stay that way you know you could become chief one day I
0: I didn't think it was a place where I could thrive can we talk about that for a little bit when you're the first or you're the only there's like this pressure for you to keep do- going and keep doing this these things that's great for the collective right the collective. Mm -hmm. And that's great for us as women, as Black women, as Black people. But, and we're, as Black women, we're conditioned to do those things, but they're sort of detrimental to us. And when we choose us, it can't, there can be backlash and, and there can be, it's a hard decision to make, period. Like, I know your decision is, it felt abrupt to a lot of folks, but you did, I know you didn't take it lightly.
1: No, I didn't. And, um, interestingly, one of my greatest supporters in county government, um, is a county council member. And, um, he actually acknowledged my promotion with the, um, a ceremony in the county council chambers and you know it was really beautiful so i knew that he was going to be one of my greatest supporters right and that if i had decided to stay that he was going to do his best to make sure that i continue to succeed but when i told him that i was you know was retiring and he was like but basically you can't give up now and i'm like i'm not giving up <laughs> i'm i'm not giving up on me i'm 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 standing for me and even after i left so i'm teaching now in 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 the local uh, community college and um we have a partnership that we're developing with the police department now and for a minute i told him you know i'm not sure i want to work on this because i'm still triggered by association with the police in this police department because this is where i suffered abuses and i need to deal with that before i'm comfortable facilitating anyone's learning from the police department and i got the feeling that he didn't really intellectually he got it but he was like you know you gotta kind of work through that that was the feeling i got and i'm like i don't have to do that i i have to take care of myself and when i'm ready when i'm able i will facilitate this learning piece, this educational piece that we sh- we were gonna have with the police department that we're working on now, actually. But I I understood that people were like, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay in it and you know, no, I don't have to do that. And we don't have to do that as black women. Um and I agree with you that we are culturally and socially like set up to do that, to just stay in there and fight and to our own detriment though. Yeah. and we should know when it's time to just stop. We should allow ourselves to, to be intuitive enough to listen to our bodies and our minds and and know, okay, this is I need to stop right here because if not, I I might be crossing over into a dangerous place mentally and physically.
0: Yeah, yeah, echoing a lot of things that we talked about on the last episode. I talked with a friend of mine about taking a chance on yourself and and making those decisions to choose you and choose the things you want to do versus what we're sort of like socialized to do
1: and so I can also say this that the money that I left on the table I've gotten back like so much more by doing things by using that skill set that I developed while I was in the police department it has been lucrative for me and I really you know yeah would I like that money I have two kids in college right but in a way I did not I'm not missing it and I feel like I'm so much more healthy now
0: yeah that's that's so I I think that's amazing um that you you made that decision to choose you um and it's paying off it's paying Mm -hmm. off um one of the things that you told me about was a book that you did with with a group of your friends can you tell us a little bit about the book
1: Yes. Oh, I wish you, I know you're going to ask me I went ahead <laughs> so you all can see it. Um, it's, it's, it's a book about, it's dear me. Um, I'm about to get the title on letters to our younger self or my younger self. And um, so during COVID, my girlfriends from North Carolina, we're still friends. It's like nine of us, there were 10. Uh, we had one girlfriend pass away uh, several years ago from asthma. But we decided we, we would have periodic Zoom calls just to check in with each other and just, you know, have some girlfriend time because we couldn't get together. And one of our friends um, decided that, you know, maybe we should do a project. And so she thought about it. She was like, how about a book? Why don't we talk about because we've been talking about some things that happened during our childhood. Why don't we send a letter to our younger selves? And I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's an amazing idea. And so we all had a chapter where we wrote uh, this letter to our younger selves about what we would tell our younger selves that perhaps we um, would have benefited from had somebody actually said those things to us as we were growing up. And uh, so the book was published a few months ago in, in August and um it's funny because my hometown the hometown folks have been reading the book and they're coming upon some things that they never they never knew about right (laughs) i i I don't know that my mother has read it she hasn't said anything and i almost kind of scared to ask well did you read the book right (laughs) because there's some very personal things that we shared in the book and in particular i i did because um and you know when you're writing sometimes things come up that you forgot about or things that you never really meant to divulge I decided to be really honest with myself that's you know that's something that's important to me now just being honest with me and I was really honest with myself I wrote about an incident that um where there was some sexual abuse Mm. by a family friend and my girlfriends did not know about it and so when they read it they were like their mouths were hanging open
0: right
1: and I said but you know I wish somebody had said to me it's not your fault which is not what actually happened what actually happened was I was told it was my fault Mm. so being able to write about it share about it with the people that I love knowing that there were going to be people who were going to read the book and I didn't use this person's name but they were going to recognize who it was probably Mm. um but that's what happens when you let go of some things that you've been carrying on your shoulder. I've been carrying that around for a really long time, right, and it's probably gotten in the way of some of my relationships, you know my intimate relationships having that kind of energy on you know on my back
0: right, right and i think I think it's beautiful that you you own that it was not your fault,
1: yeah. I was 14. I, you know, Yeah. I was just now, just then, not just now, just then figuring out that there's some changes in my body and I was feeling a certain way about young men. Right. And then to have that disrupted by an older man, um, not having the knowledge of, not knowing that that could affect me for the rest of my life and it did to some extent
0: right right and the importance of of adults to protect you but you know they can't be everywhere but also not put that on you I'm sure that's something that you've sort of thought about (laughs) in raising your boys too
1: yeah you know they say that you know um when you have children, you try not to be your parents. (laughs) Right. Um, And yes, I try not to be that. I, oh, that's a whole nother conversation we get to have about motherhood, especially being the mother of two young Black men. That is a total, like, okay. Have I learned a lot about myself since then? Um, (laughs) But But understanding that you get to support your children even when they do they do do something that is not in excellence or there's not um you know something they did wrong that's a whole journey right um and then as a as a black woman looking around as a as as going through puberty and and not having anyone but my girlfriends who are still my girlfriends now by the way right. to talk me through what it was like what what I needed to do to protect myself from STDs, uh from pregnancy, um warning signs of the of the guy I shouldn't be talking to. I I, I felt like I should have had that conversation with an adult, but instead I was having that conversation with people who were who were my own age.
0: Yeah, so in a lot of ways you were parenting <laughs> each other yes. with very limited knowledge not with very
1: limited knowledge um and now as a as a grown woman with a with my mom you know that is that's a whole different another another conversation <laughs> about right. black women and their mothers so uh yeah I hope to be the best I can for my sons I know that I have used my experiences growing up to help to try to help me be a better mom for them especially when they did not have a father after after me and their father divorced so now I'm like okay now I'm a single mom I gotta be a mom do I have to be a dad is Mm. it enough to be a mother I don't have to take on the role of a man I can just be a good mom
0: that's good I think that's powerful So I think a lot, I've heard a lot of single moms say, I have to be mother and father. And I think that's very powerful and freeing for you to be like, I'll just be a good mom. I'll just be me. And it'll, Mm -hmm. it'll be enough. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, like you keep saying, Sonia, there's so many different conversations (laughs) (laughs) that we can keep having And I I said to you the other day, you know, so Sonia interviewed me um, briefly after um, my film was shown and I felt like the conversation wasn't over. I knew you had like a whole lot of more stuff you wanted to ask me, but I really felt like the conversation wasn't over. And, um, you know, like I said to you, Sonia, I think, you know this is your this is part of what's next for you um I know you've been thinking about that in terms of like sharing the that 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 knowledge um that you have from your experience and and your healing journey
1: mm-hmm. still healing yeah um but have have some great tools in my toolkit now though
0: yeah yeah so I'm gonna um I'm going to ask you now. So normally I do like a little lightning round, which is like (laughs) just some random questions. I haven't done it in a while. So bear with me here. Don't think too much about it. Just um, answer the questions. So the first question is, what is your favorite dessert? (laughs) Apple pie. Okay. Um, Celebrity crush. (laughs) Oh my God. David Banner. (sighs) I mean, I knew that, but <laughs> I was like, is she gonna say it? I am gonna say it. He's fine. Okay.
1: And smart. <laughs> oh, God.
0: <laughs> Guilty pleasure. French fries. <laughs> and um, in the story of your life, what genre is it? Is it drama comedy dramedy musical (laughs) suspense dramedy dramedy and who plays you
1: oh oh my god i don't know that's a great question (laughs) you got me stuck i never thought about that i can't even think Oh, my God. Now, you know, I'm going to be thinking about it. I know you'll be thinking
0: right? about it. And then you'll te- you'll send me a text. You'll text me and tell me who it is. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Uh, and you know
1: what? I'm a big stickler for who plays who. Sometimes right. when, when, when people are cast, you're like, uh-uh. Right. no you know, Who did, who cast that person? You know yeah. who it would be? And I don't know her name off the top of my head. Okay. But if you've watched the recent Fresh Prince uh-huh. the uh will's
0: mom okay i'm gonna have to look look at oh.
1: that up and see who that yes. is yes oh god what I don't i
0: can't remember her name
1: but you know what and people are like you know she looks like you and i'm like yeah, she kind of acts
0: like me too <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it the lady from the new fresh prince reboot <laughs> yeah. gotta get her name okay yeah um thank you so much Sonia. i know noticed- it's busy and we have to reschedule and shuffle. So thank you so much for your time. Any, time. Any parting words you want to leave with our audience? Where can they find the book? Um can they find you on social media, website, that kind of thing?
1: Yes. Um God, is it Lulu? So, you know, I should know again, I should know these things. I feel so unprepared. Um, how about I'm gonna text you that information about the book. Where you can okay. get the book. Um you can find me at um <laughs> the real b p x that's t h e r e a l b p x dot com that's my website i can be emailed at s p r u i t t that's my name my initial my last name at the real b p x dot com um we have a twitter account it is um <laughs> the black police experience you put it in a search engine we're the only ones that's gonna come up um we're on facebook same thing and uh, let me tell you real quick about the Black police experience. It is a venture I started in order to educate people, police, citizens, um, anybody, on the intersection of race and policing. So that's what we talk about. That's what I do most of the time when I'm not teaching. And so come through if you need me to come talk about something, I'm here. And thank you. I'm so happy that we got to speak. I'm I'm hoping that we get to speak again. Thank you for all of your inspiration. I appreciate that from a sister.
0: Thank you. I I just feel like I've been I've been waxing on and on about how I enjoyed my time in DC. and I was a little bit sad to leave and it was just so great because I met folks like Sonia. Just really great brilliant, powerful, beautiful black people. Um, And so I am so grateful for that. I'm grateful for you for coming on here and sharing with us. And um, I look forward to more of our conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I look forward to what you're going to do next too. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. Okay.